0: You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville Audio Podcast. In um, 1903, going back a few years, uh, my five-year-old grandfather um, came to the U.S. from Hungary with his family. Came on the boat, came through Boston. They eventually settled in Dearborn, Michigan. Um, so on that side of the family, my dad's side of the family, um, Um, he he had two other siblings, a brother and a sister. There was three of them with his parents, uh, so my grandparents. And then my dad's grandparents also lived with them. So there was five of them that were living in a very tiny house. I've actually seen pictures of it. It's very, very small. I don't know how they managed to do that. Um, But it's interesting. My dad would tell stories about what it was like to grow up. My dad was born in the U.S., so he was an American culturally, but told stories about what it was like to grow up with immigrants. Um, and some of them were fascinating. Some of them were just funny. Um, one of them that I remember my dad talking about that was more kind of weird for me than anything else is they, would, they raised chickens. They had some chickens in the backyard and chicken coop, and periodically they would need to have uh, one or two for meals. And so when they would do the, looking to see if there's any, okay, so there's no little kids. Okay. When they go to, to butcher the chickens, you know, they, you know, do the deed with an ax on a stump. And my, the, the chicken, then the, the, the body was then put underneath a basket upside down. My dad's job as a little kid was to sit in the basket. While the chicken flopped until it actually, the nerves and the things stopped engaging. So kind of creepy. Like I just like to know my chicken's all clean and cut up and packaged uh, for me. But there's many stories he had like that about what it was like. But one of the things that was interesting to me that I thought was fascinating is that uh, my grandfather was so adamant about transitioning to the U.S. They never spoke of life in Hungary. Never talked about it. Um, in fact, we didn't even learn of the city from which he came until a few years before he died in 1987. So, Grandpa, where did we come from? Where did we live? He says, Oh, we were just a bunch of gypsies traveling in a band stealing chickens. That was, that was, that's honest, that's what I thought my heritage was. Gypsies who rode on stage, because that's all my grandfather would talk about. Um, we learned later that that was not the case at all. gripping uh, grew up in a large city. His dad was in the military and, and whatnot. But his point was, we're Americans now. We don't talk about the past. Um, their desire uh, to be... Um, Americans affected everything about them. One the thing that was interesting is that my dad was actually punished if he was if he tried to speak Hungarian, even though his grandparents that's all they spoke, and my grandparents uh, would, my grandfather spoke broken English. Um, if my dad tried to speak Hungarian, they said we're, we're not going to allow that to happen because my my grandparents' mind was that foreigners don't have the same opportunities as Native Americans or those who were born here who are culturally um, um, acceptable. And so in order for their kids to make sure they had the best opportunities, you're only going to speak English. Um, So that was, none of us, my parents, uh, my dad doesn't speak Hungarian. We never learned it. They were just adamant that everything about their life changed the moment they uh, moved to the United States and affected everything about them. They wanted to be Americans in every sense of that term. Now, contrast that with what we see in our culture today. What is it that really holds us together? What unites us? What, what makes us Americans? In my opinion, I think we've lost all sense of cohesion, Really we don't trust our government leaders. We don't trust pretty much any leadership these days, uh, whether it's in, in health or media or there's and there's there's this among our leaders there's this unwillingness to work together. This idea of compromise is almost a swear word and we can't do we're not allowed to do that. And there just seems to be nothing that really unites us or holds us together anymore. So as a whole, it seems that we've degenerated into a society of selfish individuals concerned only about our own happiness and our own well-being. Present company excluded, obviously. We want everyone else to conform to our preferred way of life, don't we? In fact, the thought is, if only they would wise up and see things my way, then life would be good. So the question for me often comes back to, what does it mean to be a citizen of the United States. And as we continue to struggle with what that means to be part of this kingdom, those of us who are Christ followers know that, or that we must remember that we are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of God. Now, today is part two in our series on um, May Your Kingdom Come. And as we're to continue trying to understand what does it mean to live and be citizens of God's kingdom. Last week, we learned that Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God from heaven to earth, and he provided the way of salvation so that we could become citizens of God's kingdom. So while understanding what it means to be a citizen of the U.S. is challenging these days, we're given a lot more information in the Bible about what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. Now, as described in the New Testament, within God's kingdom, there are certain things. And this would not be, uh, this should be pretty familiar to you, but that within God's kingdom, there's a ruler. There's the sovereign, the one in charge, the final authority on all matters. You also have, if you have a ruler, you have the rulees. These are the citizens, the subjects of the kingdom, if you will. There's a realm over which the king rules, the territory, the, 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 the boundaries which within which their authority has influence. And there's also a way of life that governs the relationship between the ruler and his or her citizens. Those things were pretty much understood within any kingdom. So as we talk about God's kingdom, we're talking about his rule, his sovereignty, his authority over all of creation. When a person chooses to become a follower of Jesus Christ, that person becomes a subject or citizen, if you will, of God's kingdom. They are now under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And as Christ followers, we are first and foremost citizens of God's kingdom. Now, Paul affirms this idea in his letters. In uh, Colossians, I love how he phrased this, talking about uh, Jesus. He said, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In Ephesians, Paul says, Consequently, you you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. So this idea of citizenship was understood very early on within the church. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, and Paul very quickly picked up on this in all of his writings. See, the thing is, the kingdom of God is the number one thing Jesus talked about. It's everywhere in the Gospels. He constantly was talking about the kingdom of God. It's impossible to miss it. In Matthew chapter 4, you see, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, For the kingdom of heaven is near. Remember we looked at last week uh, also that kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God are synonymous terms. Um, Ironically, Matthew is the only one that uses the term kingdom of heaven. He uses kingdom of God a couple times, but none of the other gospels actually use kingdom of heaven, but they are intended to be meant to be synonymous terms. Then we also see in Matthew uh, chapter 4 that Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Preaching the good news of the kingdom. Jesus talked about people living in God's kingdom here and now. It wasn't just going to heaven. It wasn't just an eternal destiny. The kingdom of God was something that was also present here and now. Hear me on this. trusting in Jesus will get you to heaven. But trusting in Jesus doesn't get heaven to come down to you. What I mean by that is experiencing God's kingdom in your daily life comes only when we live as citizens of the kingdom. When we live for ourselves, it becomes a convoluted mess. And because of this, it's important that we have some clarity about God's kingdom. So a few thoughts on what that looks like. first thought is this. God's kingdom originates in his realm. God's kingdom originates in his realm. Three days ago, Thursday, a 19-year-old young man uh, walked into a FedEx facility and began shooting. And if you've followed the news at all, you're aware that eight people were killed. Uh, I don't know what the number of injured were, but it's quite... Um, significant in that uh, he ended up killing himself uh, in the end as well. It's the sixth mass shooting in the last five weeks here in the U.S. Um, again, mass shooting under the, these terms is it's three or more people were shot, not including the shooter, but three or more people in a public place. Fifth one, I'm sorry, sixth one in the last five weeks. Um, here's the reality. This is only going to increase Uh, The volume on calls for stricter gun control laws. Um, And there's no way I'm climbing in the weeds on that hot potato. However, I will say this. Ultimately, if we want to fix visible and physical problems, we have to address the invisible and spiritual issues first. When we take God out of the picture, we shouldn't be surprised when godless and evil behavior emerges. The, this idea was at the heart of the conversation between Jesus and Pilate when he was under trial right before his crucifixion. The Jewish leaders wanted to get rid of Jesus, but they, were, they didn't have the authority to do that. Their, Rome was the one that was in control. They were occupied by Roman, and the authority came from Rome. So the Jewish leaders had no legal basis for doing that. So they had to get, somehow get the Rome to do their deed for them. And so came up with this idea of treason. Basically, if Jesus, if they could get Jesus to say he was the, a king, then he would be a threat, a treasonous, that'd be a treasonous statement to Caesar and Rome. And that's what happened. They got, they made this accusation to Pilate that Jesus was claiming to be a king. And so Pilate, in his questioning of Jesus, he asked him, says, are, basically point of blank, he says, are you a king? And Jesus, in John 18, hears his response. He said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You're a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, You are right in saying that I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. <coughs> Jesus was saying that his kingdom does not originate in this world, but is actually for this world. He's telling Pilate, I am a king, I have a kingdom, but it's not of this world, I'm not a threat to Caesar. That's also why he even pointed it out. He said, if I were a part of this kingdom, part of this world, my followers would rise up and try to protect me. He says, that's not the game we're going to play. When you're in God's kingdom, you play by a different set of rules. And because his kingdom was from heaven, he was going to engage the situation on God's terms, not the world's terms. And we're fortunate that that's his choice because we benefited from that because of Christ's willingness to be crucified in his resurrection. <clears throat> One more thing. Too often, Christ followers try to mix God with the world. And as a result, uh, we wind up not experiencing anything of God because of his kingdom is not of this world. It's like trying to uh, mix oil and water. And we want to have the best of both worlds. And so we try to mix a little God's kingdom and a little bit of the world's kingdom. And we try to live with both together, and it just doesn't work. You end up not doing either one well. Which leads me to my next thought. When you come into God's kingdom, you come under his sovereign rule. Now, if you come to our house, a couple basic rules we'll we'll probably ask you to follow. Um, That's not that we have this list, like here's this checklist we have to go through first before you can come. But there are certain things, behavior, certain expectations. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Um, One would be this. If you want to smoke, please do it outside. That seems reasonable. Um, for us personally, no profanity. We would prefer that it's not in the, our house. Um, it is okay to wear your shoes in our house as long as they're not muddy. If they're muddy, leave them at the door outside. But, but that's again, that seems fairly reasonable. Now, it's also possible you come to my house um, and uh, walk into my office, you know, and you say, you know what? I don't like how you've organized and decorated your office at all. You know, you get your books on this wall. They should actually be on this wall. And the t- your writing table, it doesn't fit anything. What? I just don't like it. Now, I would probably be polite and listen to you. And, and honestly, I need, I need help. So I would, I would definitely listen in that regard. However, it's my choice as to whether or not I accept your critique. <clears throat> it's my choice. Um, it's because it's, it's my house. And it's my office. And it's my room. And so ultimately, it's mine. So that means if you come to our house, you have one of two choices. One is you, you just abide by, hey, here are some ground rules. And you learn to, all right, I either just don't go in Sam's office if it's that bad. Or, or it's like, all right, you know, this is his office. I don't, it's, it's not a big deal. If you're not willing to live within those parameters, you just go home, you know, or you just don't come. I mean, I mean that just kind of makes sense, does it? No, now certainly the same would be true if I were to come to your house as well there are certain things you would want or expect. And if I weren't, wasn't willing to cooperate, then you would expect, you know what, maybe, maybe just better for you not to come over uh, anymore. So when we say that God is sovereign, what we're saying is that the world is his domain. It's his, it belongs to his. And that when all is said and done, he is in control. Just like I'm in control of my office decor, God is in control of all of the world. It's his. Now David understood this very clearly in his psalms. Psalms 103, he said, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. In Psalm 115, he says, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Sovereignty refers to God's supremacy over all all his creation, visible and invisible. So to acknowledge God's sovereignty is to acknowledge the validity of his jurisdiction and his legislation in and over every area of our life. So if God is sovereign, we are submitting ourselves to his authority. And as a result, we align ourselves with God and his kingdom. And that's really the question for all of us. See, I think that the question really isn't about God's sovereignty. We're okay with God being sovereign, and we understand that, and God is sovereign, and he will do what he intends to do. I think the question for most of us is, are we going to submit ourselves to a sovereign whom we don't always understand and with whom we don't always agree with? In God's kingdom, the fact is, it's his house, his rules. We need to be concerned about his purposes, not our desires. We must be willing to follow his path, not our own. We should be asking the question, Lord, what do you want? Not offering a statement, Lord, this is what I want. When you come into God's kingdom, you come under his sovereign rule. My third thought, God's kingdom exists for his glory. Paul says it so plainly in Romans 11, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen kind of has this, so be it. So be it. God created each of us for his pleasure and his glory. Now, It's important that we understand there's two ways of understanding glory in this context. And whenever we talk about God, there is this, what we refer to as ascribed glory. It's, It's the adulation we give a celebrity. So they are glorified because we give glory to them. And to say God's kingdom exists for this type of glory makes God appear shallow and needy. God is not narcissistic. He doesn't need a fan club. The other kind of glory is what, we know, what is known as intrinsic glory. Glory exists whether we give it or not. So if, uh, if you're, when you wake up in the morning or if it's in the afternoon, I know sometimes in our house when the sun sets, we will close some of the blinds to block out the sun. So even though we've closed the blind, that in no way diminishes the brightness or the heat of the sun. It is still bright and it is still hot. Even though we've made a few adjustments, the sun doesn't change. It is what it is. With what heat and brightness are to the sun, glory is to God. So it's crucial that we understand that God created, excuse me, that God created the heavens and the earth for his pleasure and his glory. He didn't make them for us. Everything in God's kingdom was created to bring glory to God. And as Christ's followers, we are first and foremost citizens of God's kingdom. Lastly, God's kingdom operates according to his will. <clears throat> I think this is the number one area where Christ followers struggle. Not because we're a resistance to God's will, at least openly, I think most of the time we struggle because we just don't understand it. I mean, we just look around what's happening in our world today and how could there be a loving God with so much evil that's out there? How come good bad things happen to good people? The world seems to be spinning out of control on so many different levels. Let me suggest this morning that when things seem to be out of control to you, that really means that they're out of your control. God is not up in heaven thinking, huh, who saw that one coming? You know? Or, uh, yeah, what are we going to do now? Um, How am I going to fix that? You know, that's going to be a tricky one. I just don't envision God having that kind of reaction. We might have it, but we're not God. We don't understand. <clears throat> I remember when uh, we, uh, we'd resigned from our, our, our church in Minnesota and we weren't sure where we were going. There's actually a two, two-year period um, as we just kind of worked through some things and, and just a longer story. But... The one day when we had, we, the, the, we knew we had been uh, offered a pastoral position at a church in Connecticut, and we were going to be moving from Minnesota to Connecticut. And so we sat our kids down. Samuel was in what, eighth grade, I think, then. Um, Sarah would have been in fifth grade. Peter would have been in third grade. <clears throat> so after dinner, we had the conversation um, we're going to be moving. You know, and dad's got in a position, da 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 da. Um, <clears throat> Samuel stormed out of the kitchen just furious. Sarah burst into tears and just, just sat there crying and blubbering and just was a mess. Peter was very stoic. <clears throat> Again, he was our third grader. Peter began to just go through a list of things. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, you know, can I take my clothes? Yes, you can take your clothes. Well, can I take my toys? Yes, you can take your toys. Can I take my bike? Yes, you can take your bike. And you can tell he was searching for something. And finally, he says, Can I take the sandboxes out in the backyard? No, because it was just the perimeter, the sand, it wasn't like a thing we could carry. He said, No, the sandbox is staying here. That's what he was looking for. He burst into tears and he wanted, he needed something to cry about, and that was it, because he couldn't take his sandbox. Here's the thing. A month, so all, I mean, these kids, they were devastated. And I don't, in no way want to diminish their feelings. I mean, what they felt was genuine. They were really upset. And it was traumatic for them at that age. I can tell you this, a month after we moved, they never talked about Minnesota again. They made new friends. They never looked back. In fact, if you ask them to this day, do they regret making that move? None of them would say, all of them would say, we are so glad that we didn't grow up there, that this is what happened, and we'll live there. So what was happening there at that young stage, that the emotional reaction, they didn't understand. Again, I don't want to diminish their, their feelings. I don't want to say that it was that they were acting mature. It was in the moment it was real for them, it was genuine, but they didn't have the big picture in mind. They didn't understand what life was going to be like later. <clears throat> I wonder if that's what it is like with us with God as well. We get the news, we get the diagnosis, we have this information, and all of a sudden our bottom of our world falls out and we're devastated and we don't get it. And what do we, do we want to resist? Some of us are just going to run out. Some of us are going to look for a way to be angry at God. Some of us will just become a, an emotional mess. But we don't understand. Hopefully, hopefully each of us can come to a point in time where we say, God, I don't understand where this is going, but I trust you. I trust you. Like ultimately our kids trusted us that you know, we had their best interests in mind and it worked out for them. And regardless of the outcome, regardless of the outcome, that we can come to terms and come to peace with the idea that God is in control. And even if the outcome, even if the path is not one I would prefer, God is still in control. It's still his kingdom. I as a citizen, as a follower of Jesus Christ, am a member of his kingdom. His house his rules and i'm okay with that as citizens of his kingdom we must come to a place where trusting in his where we where we can trust his sovereignty especially when things don't make sense when we struggle with the will of god we need to remember that the message of the kingdom is not an escape from earth to heaven but god's reign and power coming from heaven to earth as we live as citizens of the kingdom. We cannot experience the fullness of the kingdom if we're not willing to submit to God's will. We could resist that. We could could not come to terms with it. And I think we all probably might know people who just something happened in their life and they never came to a point of acceptance and they're bitter, they're angry at God, they've turned their back on God and it just hasn't worked out well for them. As Christ followers, first and foremost, we are citizens of God's kingdom. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.